everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The NBA play-in tournament tips off tonight with a pair of games. Who will win? Who will advance on to the actual playoffs? And who will have to play yet another play-in game? Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. And I'm joined here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. Got a great show lined up for you today. Going to be talking Astros with Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast. Going to be talking all things McNeese, including the baseball team seemingly getting right with Jim Gozolo of the late Charles American Press. And we'll talk Pels as they gear up for the play-in tournament with Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Busy, busy day yesterday. Tampa Bay Rays keep it rolling. They push their record to 10-0. The best start for any Major League Baseball team since 1987 when the Brew Crew did it. The record for best start to a season is held by that same Milwaukee team who went 13-0. and and the 1982 or 1983 Atlanta Braves team that started off 13-0. So Tampa keeps rolling right along. WNBA draft was last night. A couple of LSU players heard their name called. I never understand inviting a player to the draft. Like, hey, Alexis Morris, please come to the draft. And then she's not taken in the first round. Like, I get that they don't get told these things. I get that they're not told these things. But it's not a great look, right? But Ladeja Williams and Alexis Morris both get drafted in the WNBA draft, of course. Boston from South Carolina was taken number one overall to the Indiana Fever as five, count them, five South Carolina draft picks. But let's start with the NBA play-in tournament which begins tonight. Rudy Gobert has been suspended for this game. So he will not be on the court for tonight's playing tournament game at Los Angeles with Minnesota being at L.A. That's a huge deal. They have another player that broke his hand. Rudy Gobert is not going to be in there. This favors Los Angeles in a huge way. Anthony Davis versus Carl Anthony Towns should be fun. Does the Laker do the Lakers have anyone to slow down Edwards? I know Cat is the best player on the Timberwolves, but Edwards has closed that gap this year significantly. Does L.A. have anyone to stop Edwards? I don't think so. But 
the fact that you're not going to be that you're going to be without one of your best defenders and you're going to be out with another guy i it sure does favor LA to win tonight's matchup and the Lake Show get the 7 seed and start preparing to take on the Memphis Grizzlies in the opening round of the playoffs the other game Atlanta versus Miami Miami's the better team Miami should have done better this year. It's one of those head scratchers where you go, the Heat should be better. Probably about five or six wins better than what they are. Maybe we've seen their ceiling, so to speak, a couple of years ago. Maybe this is the best that you're going to see from this team. But they're good at home, 27 and 14. The Hawks are terrible away from Atlanta, 17 and 24. Jimmy's always really good in the playoffs. They win. They get to move on as the seventh place team, and they'll gear up for the first round of the playoffs. But this is the play in tournament. And once again, we're talking about teams that. Barely made the playoffs. In the old format, right? Atlanta, Miami, Minnesota, and L.A. would all be in the playoffs. They'd be gearing up for their first-round playoff game. So, (laughs) this feels like the teams that are going to move on. I know we want to be high on the Pelicans. Let's say they beat Oklahoma City, but then going to L.A., Do you trust the Pels to go and not only win tomorrow night in the Smoothie King Center against Oklahoma City, do you trust them to go to L.A. and beat LeBron in A.D. in a playoff scenario? I'm not talking about regular season here. I'm talking playoff scenario. And I know B.I. always plays well against his former team. I get that. But it's set up fairly nice for the Lakers. And if they advance, L.A. gets to take on Memphis. I love Memphis. I love John Morant's game. I don't love him being a knucklehead off the court, but I love his game. Memphis talks a lot of trash, but Memphis has no experience at this level. They've never made a deep run, not with this group. Now, Zebo and Gazal back in the day did with Conley when it was the grindhouse there in Memphis. But I would still give the Lakers a chance against the Grizzlies just because you got LeBron. You got LeBron. Like, that's that's what it boils down to. You still, you have a guy that's in the conversation of being one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. You're always going to have a chance. I would still like Memphis to win that series. But I think it's going to be a lot tougher than people think. It just is. So Hawks Heat. That's the seven eight matchup. Winner moves on, clinches the seven seed for the playoffs. Timberwolves Lakers is the nightcap. Winner moves on to the seven seed in the West. How do you like these matchups, D Lo? Well, 
I mean, you said the Pelicans didn't have to go to L.A. I don't think they're going to have to go to L.A. I think they'd have to go to Minnesota because I think L.A. wins tonight. So, you know, I mean, I don't feel great about their chances uh, just because. Well, I was saying if L.A. did right, lose. Yeah, yeah which sorry. I just don't see that happening. But, I mean, yeah, that would that would be difficult if it, if it happened that way. Um, you always have the chance that a day-to-day tweaks an ankle, though, and then maybe the Lakers are at, not at full strength. Um, that's Anthony Davis, by the way. Um, Yes, yes. But, um, yeah, I think I think the Lakers win that game. Um, you know, the funny thing, I mean, Minnesota looked like they were a lot better team once they lost the two guys that they lost uh, against the Pelicans, and they kind of rallied together. So you almost wonder if that's a, a group that's kind of rallying against, you know, just like, you know, forget Gobert, he's not here, we're not really all that upset about it type of thing. Uh, that's Because that's what it seemed like against the Pelicans the other day. But I, I don't I don't know if they have enough for the Lakers, who again haven't been like there's been this narrative that the Lakers are this really dangerous, really hot team, and I just don't buy it. But I do think they're good enough to beat Minnesota tonight. They have LeBron, which always makes them dangerous. Yeah, but now, right, it, it boils yeah. down to him because you can't depend on AD to be healthy, and there's times where he disappears. But I, I, well, but I think they need AD if they're going to do anything in this postseason. I think it has to be him because I just don't know if LeBron can play at that sustained level for that many games in a row at this point in his career. We'll see. Um, Early on, like in a first-round playoff matchup, I'd say yes. If this was, we're talking like the semifinals or the Western Conference Finals, I'd say no. Yeah. And then on the other side, I think Miami's the clear cut. I mean, you know, Atlanta's got a lot of questions to answer this offseason. I mean, they have a a disgruntled somewhat superstar in Trey Young who, you know, from reports around the league, isn't the most well-liked guy or the most easy guy to play with. And a lot of, you know, teammates of his are – not his biggest fans, and so where do they go with that, you know, and, and does that whole thing break up? Uh, you know, they already fired the coach, and, and so that's there's a lot of questions there. I think they get an early start on their offseason. Um, Miami, look, you want to talk about a team that could be dangerous in the playoffs, Eric Spolscher is one of the best coaches in basketball, and Jimmy Butler does play well come playoff time. I mean, they have some problems on that team. That's why they didn't win as many games as they should have, but I think they win tonight, and look, I mean – it's not an ideal matchup, whether they end up being the seven or the eight, you know, facing either Boston. Like, I, I wouldn't love the idea of Miami being my first round matchup, you know, and and correct. I think there's other teams. I would much rather play the Knicks than I'd rather play, you know, the Heat. But I think that I think one of those top two seeds is going to get to play the Heat or going to have to play the Heat, I should say, because I think they're going to get in. You and I are in agreement. I like Miami tonight. I like the Lakers to win tonight, and they move on and take the seven spots there in the playoffs. And then it goes to tomorrow night. And, of course, tomorrow night's games, the Pellies take on the Thunder. Once again, they were 3-1 and one against the Thunder. But SGA is – he's really good. You, you want to take a shot in the dark on what he's averaging points per game? Just take take a shot in the dark for for the season. Yeah, I mean it's it's in the high twenties, thirty one point four. Wow. Yeah, he. I mean, <laughs> no, he's he's one of the Oof, you know man up and coming superstars in the league. And I mean, look, I saw him play. That was the game I covered, and it did not go well for the Pels. But you know, I mean, back to the whole, they're a better team than Oklahoma City. They are maybe not by a ton, but they are a better overall team. Um. Who would you rather have in crunch time, whether it's, you know, Brandon Ingram or, or SGA? That's probably a pretty tough call. 
Um, B.I.'s ability to get a shot when he needs one, you know, is, is something you value. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. What what kind of defensive plan do they have? And, and that's where, you know, you'd think the Pelicans match up okay because they have a guy like Herb Jones who should be able to somewhat neutralize SGA. You're not going to shut him down, of course. He's going to get some, but... If they're able to do something like that, you know, maybe have Herb Jones guard him instead of guarding seven feet big men like they were uh, against Minnesota. I think that matches up okay for you. I think Jonas has an opportunity to have a big game because if there's, he's allowed. Well, that's true. If he plays, you usually have to be on the court to score um, for the most part. It's, it's if not he's very allowed. often. Yeah. But. You know, Oklahoma City doesn't really have an interior presence that can really challenge no. him. They've got the rookie from Arkansas, Jalen Williams, but like outside of that, I think Jonas has a chance to have a big game. But again, that depends on whether they want to play him or not. Five point favorite the Pels are. Yeah, I mean that's about right. Sounds it, about right. Yeah, I like their chances because they're better at home, right? Twenty seven and fourteen. I like their chances to win tomorrow night. Whether or not they can win. Another game, well, that would be on Friday at the loser of the Minnesota Lakers game. I don't know. It's a lot to ask for a team that's really, really flawed. The other game tomorrow is Bulls, Raptors. Ooh. <laughs> DeMar DeRozan still out there scoring 24 points a game. Siakam, Raptors. I don't know. That's a coin flip game. I don't like either one of those teams to 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 move on, really. I think them, the Hawks, are all about the same, really. Yeah. Who wants to be the sacrificial lamb eight seed? Come on down. <laughs> that well, and that's like the difference in in the Eastern Conference too. And I mean, you know, the East has been top-heavy to an extent. Now, it's not like the records are that much worse than in the West, but the difference between Milwaukee and Boston, one of those teams playing Miami and one of those teams playing potentially, you know, the Raptors or the Bulls, I I would much rather avoid Miami if I'm, you know. And yes. So if you're Milwaukee, you're rooting for the Heat to win tonight, if, that, if, if you did feel that way, so that they're the seven. And then if you're Boston, you're actually rooting for, for you the, know, the, Hawks. the other way around, right? Yes. Yeah, so. We'll see how it goes. Playing tournament tips off starting tonight. Two games tonight, two more tomorrow night. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll switch from the hardwood to the Astros. Boy, they displayed some power yesterday in Pittsburgh. We'll recap it for you. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Houston Astros had been one of the more impatient teams when it came to their performance at the plate. Dusty Baker had spoken on it, was a little frustrated by his team's inability to not swing early. 
They led the major leagues, by the way, entering yesterday's game at Pittsburgh with 102 strikeouts. That was tied for the most in the majors. Big reason why they've struggled. Yeah, no Jose Altuve, no Brantley yet. We get all that. But they always start off a little sluggish, and this time they've been just impatient, right? Well, a little bit more of a patient approach paid off in a big way yesterday as the Astros beat the Pirates 8-2. to Jordan Alvarez had three hits, boosted his RBI total to a major league leading 16 in 11 games. <laughs> Just think about that for a second. What? Kyle Tucker had two hits and drove in three runs as Houston breezed past the Pirates. They didn't record a single home run yesterday. Had 13 hits. Not a single one was a home run. But they also collected eight walks and only struck out seven times. Far more patient approach at the plate. Came up big for them as they're now 5-6 and six overall on the season. Once again, Strohs are always sluggish to begin off the season. Pirates have been surprisingly better than most people think. Great ballpark from afar. I've never been. Too bad the organization's not committed to actually putting together a winner. But that's a discussion for another day. Dubon singled three times to extend his hitting streak to a career-best six games as the reigning World Series champs sent the fast-starting Pirates to their second loss in their last seven games. When you're down a couple of guys, somebody has to step up. And credit Dubon because a lot of us had doubt, Dawson, that he would be the guy that he could step up and be able to produce at the plate. He's got a nice little six-game hitting streak going on. He only got three singles yesterday. He doesn't have a lot of power. He's not going to give you a big splash offensively, but he's contributing, and that's what you need from your team when they're down a couple stars. Yeah, just piece it together until they're back, like we've been Correct. saying. I mean, that's that's what you need, and I thought Framber was excellent yesterday. I think oh. he rolled four double play balls. You know, I mean – it's been funny. He's been like working in and out of. Tri- That's the funny thing too. He's not. You can tell he's not in midseason form yet. He's 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 not sharp, but he's still still finding a way to get you through seven innings and give up two runs. Like that's a major league pitcher, a guy who can locate. You know, and he gives up a couple of base runners. That's no big deal. I'm going to roll a couple of double play balls, and I think he had four double play balls in in yesterday's game. That's out of seven innings, four of them he had a double play. So. Four double plays. He only gave up three hits. He did have the five walks, but he also had five Ks. Right, and so not not his sharpest stuff, so giving up walks, but then just finding a way to work around it. I mean, he's just he's a major league pitcher, and he is, and I say pitcher, and I mean pitcher. I think there's a lot of throwers in the major leagues right now, um, but Framber's a guy who can pitch. By the way, Altuve rejoined his teammates on the road as he recovers from surgery after getting injured in the World Baseball Classic last month. He was wearing a cast over his injured thumb, is out and until least late May, but he did join his team. So that's good. And we've talked about that too, right? Well, what are they going to do because Altuve's leadership? He's a quiet guy, but he's kind of like that leader. And the thing that's always impressed me about the Astros is this. Remember last year, Brantley gets injured and he's done for the season, right? He didn't go anywhere. He stuck around. He was cheering on his teammates. He was helping them in the dugout. He was helping them in the locker room. Like, this is how that organization is. 
a lot of times, especially when you're talking about star players, Jose Altuve could be at home right now, right? There's nothing saying that he has to be with the team. He could just be chilling at home, relaxing, recovering. But he's not. That matters. He just does. It, it, it matters. And the and the way the Astros are ran, they have this. Brantley's done it in the past. Altuve's doing it now. Th- th- this is what they do. This is who they are. Yeah, and I, I think... For whatever reason, too, I think baseball lends itself a little bit more to that, just because it's such a it's such a a grind of a season, right? And the guys, like it, it really is like your family. You're traveling with them every day, living with them, and so I, I think you see that more. The Pelicans, same way, right? The guys never leave; they're always there. They don't go to Portland when they get injured. <laughs> so it's kind of like the two franchises. They're really pretty similar in that regard. <laughs> oh man, the series continues on Tuesday in Pittsburgh. Christian Javier, 1-0, 3.27 ERA, takes the bump. Mitch Keller will take the bump for the Pirates, 1-0, 3.86 ERA. And that'll be tonight. I'm glad you brought up your Pellies. Yeah, but big time, Christian Javier starting on the fantasy roster. Need him. Need a big outing from him today. We lost. We, we didn't have a great week one, so I got my man Javier going for me tonight. Need a big boost. Anyway, the Pels, yes. He needs... He, he, Christian needs to give you a big boost, does he? Have you passed along the message to him that you need him to help you out? I'll tell you one thing I don't do, and I'm very against, is the guy on Twitter that is like messaging the player about fantasy and stuff like that. Because first of all, they don't care. Second of all, you shouldn't care that much. And it's just, no. So yeah, I do have, like, that's the worst. It's like, oh, Jamal Williams, I needed six more yards, man. He doesn't care. Don't tweet it. Just leave it. leave it in your head. You can listen to tonight's Astros game against the Pirates. Pre-game begins at 5, first pitch 535 on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. We talked about it yesterday morning on the show when we had Christian Clark on, and he revealed that the Pellies don't think that Zion is where he needs to be conditioning-wise. Well, that story kind of blew up throughout yesterday, didn't it? When you had Shams chime in and everything like that. It's year number four. It's year number four, Dawson. And we're still talking about Zion's conditioning. Is that a recipe for success? Does this give you hope that they're going to figure this out? It's year four, man. That's a presidential term. Yeah, no, it's not great. And it's weird. It's just really strange. The whole thing is bizarre. We were talking about it on a group text yesterday where the whole thing is just bizarre. How Griff deals with Zion, how Zion deals with the team, how it looks like Zion is ready to go. You get the impression that he wants to play. He's cheering. He's laughing with his teammates. There doesn't seem to be any weirdness there. But there's weirdness with the whole situation. Is his handlers keeping him from playing? Are the Pelicans keeping him from playing, but then pretending like they're not and trying to make him out to be the guy that doesn't want to talk to the media and the guy that doesn't want to be to play? Like, we don't know. We don't know who to trust in this situation because no one's been transparent right? from no, and, jump. Yeah, and, and, and to echo that further, I mean, I, I talked with Sean Fazan when I was filling in for Jordy Holberg yesterday in the afternoon, and, and, oh. Sean, and Sean said the same. Th- you know, I asked Sean, I said, look, when the Pelicans made such a big deal about coming out and saying that they handled it wrong last year, and David Griffin came out and said that, 
And then they did the exact same thing. Like, what's up with that? And that's, you know, and he kind of said, yeah, it doesn't, that's where it really doesn't make sense because they admitted that they didn't handle it correctly last year, said exactly what they did wrong and what they would do differently. They were given the same scenario and they still handled it the same way that they handled it when they said they did it wrong. So that's where, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. You know what I mean? And that's like he said, we should have done a better job getting him out in front of people. And now look, if, if it turns out Zion's declining the opportunities and their Pelicans are trying their best, you got to figure out something. And, and even if Zion's not going to get up there and talk, then the Pelicans should have been more transparent throughout the process with, with, with the fans and the media. Um, and again, like the fans and the media aren't going to change what's happening. We're not going to do anything, but we deserve to know, especially in, you know, in the NBA. And, and again, it's like I, I say that a lot. It's, it's not college athletics where injuries are kept private and rightfully so. And, you know, it's not the media's business when it comes to college athletes. But professional, like these leagues have policies that you're supposed to be informed about, like what's going on. And I know they don't have to tell you every single update, but it's just the lack of transparency just leads you to think something's going on here. And why, why let the fan base and the media speculate? You know what I mean? And if you have a problem, it's also about phrasing. Words matter. When you mention the conditioning, right? You, you mention that. You bring that to the forefront. Well, and, and maybe that's a message to the player at this point, right? But but here here's my bigger issue. You invested. You're the one that drafted him. You're the one that gave him the extension. He's had a history of the conditioning being a problem. This isn't our first rodeo with this. So did you not do your due diligence, or did you just think, oh, he'll, 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 he'll do it? Like, It's just so bizarre and weird and sloppy, and it doesn't seem like anybody's on the same page. No one's on the same page. Well, and I don't know if, if you saw the interview that Shams did on, on Pat McAfee's show yesterday, but, I mean, it got even worse, really, like with, with what he said. I mean, his, his, I think the phrasing was somewhere along, along the lines of the Pelicans don't think he's even really close right now. And, um, you know, and, and, and Shams, I mean, is, you know, one of the most respected insiders. He, he usually knows what he's talking about. So not even close as opposed to which which that's the other thing where you talk about phrasing. OK, and that's where I do have a problem with what's being said and what's being portrayed, because a couple a week or two ago, we were talking about, yeah, probably be, maybe maybe have him back for the play in games. Certainly the playoffs. He'll be he'll be, he'll be ready to go for the playoffs, maybe the play in games. And now you're going, which the playing game is tomorrow, and now you're talking about he's not even close. So how does that change that much? And, Somebody's and, lying. Right. And, and, that's, and I get that that stuff happens. Like they don't, They're not going to tell you everything. But the Pelicans as an organization need to be on the same page about the message they're putting out and, 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 what, and they need to be consistent across the board. And it's now, you know, for, for everything David Griffin's done in the player acquisition realm, which I think he's been very good at, look, he's built a, a roster that can contend if healthy. He has not, they, they do not handle portraying the message. And, and again, I don't know who's responsible for that because I don't know who is changing what's being said, but I don't know how you go from he'll be ready for the playoffs, maybe the play-in games, to he's not even close. In, in, in a matter of days is, is when that changed. So I don't, I don't really understand that. It's just bizarre. The whole thing is absolutely bizarre. And immensely frustrating if you're a Pelicans fan. And and look, I get it. The franchise doesn't owe the fans anything because at the end of the day, it's a business and they're going to run it as such. 
And I get if you want to take that point because they're getting revenue that's not from ticket sales. Okay. If you want to take that stance, great. I don't agree with that stance, but if you want to take that stance, that's fine. But here's the other problem. It's causing dysfunction for your franchise. Take the fans out of it. You're still barely a playoff team. You're only a playoff team because of the playing tournament. And you've put the fortunes of your franchise on someone that you allegedly say isn't taking his conditioning right. Yeah, and like, I know I know we have to go to a break, but again, the playing tournament's so dumb because this team deserved to be sitting at home and done with, so I wouldn't have to think about it anymore, but now I have to worry about a dumb game tomorrow. That's another reason the playing game is stupid. Like the Pelicans showed you, they had a chance here. That should have been, like I said, and I texted you this the other day, like, think about that game would have been in the playoffs or out. It wouldn't have been, well, who's getting in this, you know, ladder bracket style at the bottom of the bracket. No, you should have been winner go home. They lost. They should be at home, but instead they play the Thunder tomorrow. So whatever. <laughs> My man's disgruntled. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I don't know that that really is a thought as much as, hey, let's get to number 24. And uh, we have an opportunity to do that tomorrow night. Uh, you know, it's always part of our mission to win the league. And uh, this is a position that we need to be in every year. Uh, I will say this to last year's team credit after getting swept on the road. And then we had a couple of hiccups on and off the field. We were right there at the end going to the Texas State Series to win that thing. And uh, lost three two-run games. Uh, but then handle business in the tournament. And so uh, I would love to win this league. I know the team wants to, but, hey, we're, we're not even halfway. We won't reach that until Sunday afternoon. Uh, so this this league is very, very volatile. It's good. All you got to do is look at the scores. Anybody can beat anybody. Uh, you can't compare scores in this league, and that's the way it should be. Uh, but, yeah, we're right where we need to be. We're right where we've worked to be. Would I like to see us have 10 wins right now? I think most certainly. But we have an opportunity for that this weekend at the halfway point. That's Louisiana Raging Cajun skipper Matt Deggs. When asked, you know, does this team play different? Does it feel different when you're atop the conference standings? And that's exactly where they sit. They've won five straight games, including four straight in conference play sweeping Marshall this past weekend on the road, and the five-game winning streak also includes winning that game against App State the previous weekend when they salvaged that series. They're 9-3 and three in Sunbelt play, 23-9 and nine overall. They're tied atop the standings with Coastal Carolina, who's 9-3. and three. Old Dominion's 8-4. and four. And Southern Miss, surprisingly, is 7-5? and five? Baseball. Southern Miss is a team that went to the Supers last year. And we thought was probably going to be the standard bearer for the conference this year. And now, they're still about halfway through the schedule, right? So there's still plenty of time. But I'm a little surprised about 
by Southern Miss only being 19 and 11 overall and 7 and 5 in conference play. They weren't used to the grind of a Sunbelt schedule, and that's on them. Oh, oh, shots fired, <laughs> Golden Eagles. Shots fired to the Golden Eagles. This week, big week for the Cajuns. You get to some state bragging rights against old rival Louisiana Tech. That's tonight. First pitch set for 6 o'clock there at the Teague. Then they go play at Southeastern Louisiana. Shout out to the Lions getting teams to play them at their place that are from a you know higher classification. And then a three-game set at the Teague this weekend against Troy. And Troy's kind of middle of the pack. They're 22 and 11 overall, but six and six in conference play. So still plenty of time left to go in the conference slate. But this team could really get things going, so to speak. Does feel like maybe they've turned a corner a little bit after dropping two or three to App State a couple weekends ago. And for them, I love what they well, I love what happened in Marshall. And, and here's why. They had to go on the road to a place they're not familiar with. That's one thing. Go cross-country. Always difficult. And a weird thing. They had to play in an empty stadium. An empty ballpark. The Cajuns are used to having loud crowds. They're used to having fans cheer either for them or against them. They experienced something. If you were watching on ESPN+, Plus. Jokes were made was, why does Marshall play in a place that looks like it's abandoned by the Soviet Union in the late 80s? Yeah, I did see that. I mean, it wasn't like COVID empty, but it was not. Yeah, it was. Well, and, and we asked Matt Deggs that on footnotes yesterday, and he said, we you know, foot asked him about the ballpark, and he said, um, you know, it's not kept in the best shape. That that was his first way to say things. He said they could maybe do a little better job. It has, it, it has great history. You can tell You can tell that it was really nice a long time ago which is a nice way of saying it's a dump because Marshall plays in two different locations. They can play on campus or they can play at the minor league ballpark, right? And I think the on campus, I think the issue there is like there's, there's no seating. It's a very high school style park. I think part of the deal when they joined the Sunbelt, I think there was a, there was some plans in place to make their on campus stadium into something. I I could, I, I could be wrong on that. Let me check on it, but. I think there was some type of deal that they're in the process of getting. How do you not have facilities that are on par with, say, the Southland Conference? Well, it's strange, too, because Marshall is not. This isn't like, you know, James Madison, who just transitioned up from FCS. I mean, Marshall's been a program for, I mean, a long time in FBS, legitimate Division I athletics. and Gross. Again, though, it speaks to the fact that baseball is not taken the way it's taken in the South everywhere. Like, it's just not the same. And, you know. It's it's becoming bigger, I think. It's becoming more important mm-hmm. in the in the Big Ten. But the Sun Belt's ranked ahead of the Big Ten in RPI, and that kind of shows you how much the South puts an emphasis on college baseball. So four and zero last week. They've won five straight. Once again, La Tech tonight on the road at Southeastern tomorrow night, and then three games set against Troy. And it feels like this team is hitting their stride. And Matt Deggs echoed that sentiment. When he spoke to the media yesterday. 
That was just good baseball, you know. We've been working to play just good, nasty Cajun baseball. And, and uh, I'd say the first game was pretty good. Second game got better. And the third game, that's how I'd like to start them, you know. We uh, shock leads off with a, a triple straight away. Uh, Roby jumps ship uh, a couple of pitches later. And then Rock fights off to get uh, a good two-strike pitch where he's able to go down and get it and flip it out of the ballpark down the line. We're up three to nothing. And it kind of took their wind, took their breath away a little bit. And uh, followed that up with some rock-solid pitching. Really good defense. I think we're fielding close to 980 on a year now. I think we're at 978. Uh, so we're hitting several goals that we had before the season started. Wanted to field uh, 980. We're right there. Uh, 400 on base. We're right there. Uh, our walk totals are way, way, way up from a year ago. And uh, I think we're plus 53 right now on freebies, which to remind you, we finished the year minus 32 last year. So uh, I think we can still take another step and we're in the midst of doing that right now as a team. And uh, when we hit it, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. The city of Huntington and uh, Marshall University working on that new baseball stadium supposed to open in March of 2024. So they're hoping to have it ready for right around the beginning of next college baseball season. Shout out to them. Don't even have like bleachers, man. It's just, it's just, oh my goodness. Bless their heart. That's what they get. They get a bless their heart. <laughs> Cajuns though, atop the Sunbelt standings. We'll see if they can stay there. It's going to be ultra competitive. I think the Sunbelt Conference Tournament in Montgomery is going to be a dogfight. Really do. It's going to be some great stuff there. We've got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk Raging Cajun softball. they got a big week as well. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's a huge, it's a huge week. I mean, the whole season's huge. I was looking this morning at this time last year. We were after 40 games. We were 30 and 10 last year. We're 30 and 10 this year. Um, so many similarities, you know. We, but the difference is the, the the schedule we played. We played an elite schedule, and this is a tough road trip. But like these games compared to Florida. You know, it is what it is. And we're playing some really quality opponents. Baylor, Texas A&M, really quality opponent. Uh, Texas State, tip your hat. I mean, they beat Alabama. They beat Texas. They they played a really good schedule, and they've got a really good coach. They've got really good uh, veteran. They're a veteran ball club. And so their, their RPI is 38. I think Baylor's 19, Texas A&M's 23. But till yet, when you compare that to UCLA, 
Florida State, Oklahoma State. We've been there before, and that's what that's what the schedule has allowed us to do. We're going to go over there and play our best ball. We can we can win, we can lose, but if we play our very very best ball, we'll come out of this week with some with some wins that we're proud of and that we can hang our hat on. Um, and then we'll see. You know, when you play these kind of schedule, you're going to pick up losses. We know that. Uh, the key is how many, and so that's what the week. It's going to be a fun week for us. But we're- it's Jerry Glasgow. Raging Cajun softball skipper talking about his team's slate of games for this week. Get another opportunity to make a case to be able to host an NCAA regional. They get to take on both Baylor and Texas A&M this week back-to-back. Baylor is tonight in Waco. Then Texas A&M is tomorrow night there in Bryan College Station. D1 softball has... Texas A&M is the number 14 ranked team in the country. Baylor is the number 16 ranked team in the country. They have the Raging Cajuns as the number 25 ranked team in the country. So another golden opportunity for Jerry Glasgow's team to get some wins against ranked opponents that will only help their situation when it comes to being able to host an NCAA regional, which is something they have yet to do under Jerry Glasgow. Then they come back at home to Lamson Park, and they'll host Texas State for a three-game set in conference play. So a huge week for Jerry Glasgow's team. They could change a lot of things. This is their last great opportunity to get some quality wins against ranked opponents. This is a big deal. Let's see if his team now back in the top 25 can take advantage of the opportunity in front of them. Poll question of the day. There is someone out there that is come up with a design and a background and a whole idea of a new mascot for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, a spirit leader, if you will, that can actually roam the sidelines and along the courts and everything like that to root on the teams. That leads us to our question. Should UL have a mascot? Because right now they don't. Kion has been uh, dead and buried for a while. Yes, of course. No, I don't like fun. Still the Bulldogs to me. 93% of you say yes, of course. 7% say no, I don't like fun. 0% still for the Bulldogs, which is their original name back in the day. Plenty of comments, and we'll share them with you in hour number two. But keep those votes coming and keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Should UL have a mascot? Yes, no, or I'm still rooting for the Bulldogs. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with Brett Chancey of Locked On Astros. That's next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Houston Astros got themselves a win to start off a series yesterday as they took a more patient approach at the plate, something Dusty Baker had stressed to his team. And instead of 
going up there and just swinging freely and being tied for the lead in the Major League Baseball for strikeouts. They were more patient, drew walks, got runners on, and were able to clobber the Pirates that way. To talk about the team being more patient and the start to the season, including some guys stepping up in a big way like Alvarez and Dubon, is our friend from the Locked On Astros podcast, the man known as H-Town Wheelhouse on the Twitter. Brett Chancey joins us now. Brett, good morning, bud. How was your Easter? It was good. It was nice, relaxing. We had a full four days off, so I'm definitely not complaining and got to take in a back-to-back Astros victory, a a bona fide two-game win streak. There you go, bud. Uh, You know, we talked about guys needing to step up with Altuve being out. Uh, We'll get to Alvarez and Tucker just being on a tear, which they have been. But can we give a little love to Dubon because he's got a six-game hitting streak had three singles last night. He's not flashy. He's not going to overpower anybody, but he is stepping up and contributing at the plate. Yeah, he is, and you do have to give credit. And, you know, much to the chagrin of the Dubon haters, as we call them online, um, he's actually performing quite well. We know he's in there for his glove, for his defense, and it's a plus when you get his bat working. He did score two runs the other day when they lost 3-2. to two. He was the only – he was both runs that had scored, so – he has the ability to hit. You know, he did put on 20 pounds in the offseason. He's not going to go up there and hit home runs. But if you look at the history of what he did in San Francisco when he was there, he wasn't a terrible bat. He wasn't a total zero at the plate. If the guy can hit where he's at a little bit lower between where he's at and maybe like 270, 280, I will take that any day um, with Mauricio Dubon. He's contributing, and that's what it's going to take with Altuve out. It is going to take someone to say, okay, I'm going to take the bulls by the horn. I'm going to take the bull by the horns because David Hensley, while you would love for his bat to be in the lineup because of the potential he has, he's not the same defensively as Dubon. And so he has done an admirable job stepping in, and that's what you need. Um, I, I think it's a welcome sight, and Astros fans should be happy that he's performing well right now. Not only is he contributing, but Alvarez and Tucker have seemingly decided to put this team on their backs the way they have been just tearing it up at the plate. Tucker has been an absolute beast, and Alvarez leads the league in RBIs only, you know, 11 games in. Uh, What do you make of what you've seen from uh, the two All-Stars? I think they're the most dangerous dynamic duo in the in the american league and um like i mentioned before there are you know i've basically chosen four duos to follow in the al um otani trout france rodriguez um stanton and judge and then i put tucker and jordan you know together and i really think by mid-season you're going to see that these two are going to continue to match you know there's several hits that they've chronicled on the telecast that this year um, were hits, last year were outs because of the shift. I mean, the seeing-eyed single that Tucker got in the game yesterday was squeaked right past the second baseman. Had the shift not been banned, that second baseman would have been in shallow right field, probably would have been a ground ball out at first. And so the banning of the shift has helped them. But Alvarez gets up there and he hits singles to the opposite field. He hits doubles. He doesn't just hit home runs. Kyle Tucker does all that as well. And on top of that, 
Kyle Tucker's speed on the base path. So these guys are about as formidable opponent as you could put together, and they help absorb a struggling Bregman at the plate and an absent Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley. They've stepped up in a big way. Uh, you could argue Chaz McCormick has done nice. He's given them an unexpected pop at the plate as well. He's batting two fifty eight on the season. Obviously, Bregman has started off slow yet again, only batting one sixty three. struck out 10 times. But Jeremy Pena is right there with him, only batting two oh eight, striking out 15 times. What do you see when you watch Pena and Bregman play? What's missing? You know, Bregman just looks like he's off because he's super early on the breaking pitches, and we've seen him hit, I think, four or five home runs that had he had a timing down, you know, he could be leading the league at home runs right now. He just, he's he's early on the breaking pitches, he's late on the fastballs, and he's getting under. He just doesn't look like he's in sync at the plate. And that is not so much a concern for me as if, you know, Bregman was dealing with some phantom injury, which he's not, because he's physically in great shape, his glove works. But I think his bat will come around. He, he historically starts off slow. So I'm not super alarmed. And then Chaz McCormick comes in, and he says, look, I just try to look at what Jose Altuve did, and I try to replicate that, give the guys a boost at the top of the lineup. And that is a veteran mindset. You need your leadoff guy to be the leadoff guy. He doesn't need to say, well, you know, I'm here until Altuve comes back. Like, he is harnessing this leadoff role. He loves it. And then, you know, to hit on Pena, Pena, the last couple games, has not gone fishing as much as he had. You know, they had 32 strikeouts in a two-game span, which was like a club record. But if Pena can just get back to being patient, they dropped him in the lineup. I think they need to keep him down in the lineup for now, let him get some hits, let him get his confidence, and just quiet that stance a little bit. I think those guys will turn it around. I expect Bregman to turn it around hopefully a little bit quicker, but look, he had three walks yesterday. He should have had a fourth walk because the umpire, I don't know what he was looking at in the game, but clearly they have too much on their plates. They can't even call balls and strikes now. So Bregman, as long as he's seeing his pitches and getting a hit here or there, I think his his average will climb back to where it needs to be around 260, 270. We're talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. What do you make of from what you've seen from the two catchers, the rotation there. Not a lot of production at the plate, but I guess we weren't expecting that, right? Yeah, you know, Marty Maldonado is going to be your guy that, you know, like yesterday he capitalizes on a, on a high four seam and, you know, laces the ball into left field. If his bat gets hold of the ball, he can, he can hit a home run. Um, he can get a single or a double here or there. Diaz, when he's been in, they're uh, 3-0 and when, when he started games. I don't know that that's a direct correlation, but people mention that a lot. Um, right now they're there for their glove, for what's behind the plate. I, I still like what Maldonado offers. I, I know he had some mess-ups with Stanek and some relief pitchers the other day, but he'll work those kinks out. And, look, Diaz is picking off people at first base. So right now they just need to – be that defensive backstop. Marty Maldonado clearly kept Valdez in the game mentally, so that's something you can't write off. And if they do contribute, 
it's a plus. And when they score eight or nine runs, you would like them to be somewhat a part of that offense, even if it's a hit here or there. Let's go to the pitching. What you make of what you saw from Hunter Brown the other day? I thought he was really good for being so young. Oh, yeah. I mean, a 94-mile-an-hour slider, a power slider, and, you know, hitting 96, 97 on his fastball. When Hunter Brown gets in sync, um, I have a friend of mine that calls him, he, he calls him um, H-Town Freight Train Brown. This is what he calls him. And he says, this kid's like a freight train. He gets enough steam behind him, and when he gets going, he does not stop and he, he does not hold back. Um, I think he's got um, a killer instinct on the mound, and that's what you need. You need him to have confidence early. And it was great to have him to go seven innings get a win, and then Framber goes seven innings and get a win. When your back-end guys are getting the ball and doing their job, the front-end guys have so much less pressure, and I think that type of momentum pitching staff-wise can carry over. So let's just hope he continues to perform like he did. And seven strikeouts was a career high. Let's hope he goes for eight next time. You know, just be, just be one strikeout better. Just be one walk one walk less better, something like that. Small goals, attainable goals, and I think they'll get there. And the pitching staff, I mean, you look at Framer, he didn't have his best stuff yesterday, uh, but he still picked up the win, right? He still was good enough to get the win, and I feel that way about this entire staff. Jose, Christian, Hunter, and Framer, we still haven't seen their best stuff. It's still early in the season, and but you got to be impressed with what you've seen so far. Yes, I mean with with what they're doing. If if this is their worst, then and they're just getting into form. Just wait till they get into form. You know, Jose right. he's going to throw strikes. Luis Garcia is really out of the whole staff is the only one that I just have the most concern about going forward. And it makes you wonder if he struggles if. Lance McCullers coming back is delayed or he's not exactly where they need him to be, does that trigger the Astros to make a make a big midseason um, trade deadline move for another starting pitcher? Because once Lance is back, they're going to stick with a six-man rotation. But I think Urquidy's fine. I think Javier will be fine. I just need to see a little bit more out of Garcia. He hasn't been as dominant as he was in the World Baseball Classic. But, of course – this is Major League Talent 1 through 9, not 1 through 4. So it's a little different. Um, he should be able to get back on back on track. Brett, the team is obviously hovering around 500. They always start off slow, but they have injuries that they're dealing with. What would you like to see this team do, say, for the next few weeks here in April? Well, you know, they have a, they have a tough schedule coming up. Um, this is not a... Of course, they do. They do come back and and play against um, Texas here at home um, after this Pittsburgh series. But then they they have the Blue Jays coming to town. Then they go on the road, Atlanta, Tampa, and then back at home with Philadelphia. So after Pittsburgh and after the Rangers, who yes, they're leading the West, but that won't be sustained. I I do believe they're just going to have to play what they've played these last couple games. Be patient, hit strikes, don't swing at balls, um, relief pitchers, 
need to be helped by starters going longer in games. They can't go four or, or five innings. You've got to get these starters to go seven innings. I, you know, I'm starting to think my one or two games under 500 April record, it could still be in play, but the way they're looking right now, they could be a few games over 500, and I believe by the end of April that they'll be um, well in the lead in the AOS. Call me call me a uh, glasses-half-full guy or, you know, color me orange like the Astros, but I, I just think this team has the ability to put it together towards the end of April, even with a tough schedule. Brett, appreciate your time as always. Brother, keep up the tremendous work with the Locked On Astros podcast, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. Yeah, definitely. And um, I've got an article coming out um, called Failure to Launch, and, we, and I talk a little bit about what we talked about today, about the slow start, but what are the positives, and you know, how can we look forward to the Astros going back to the World Series for a second year in a row. Have a good week, bud. You too. Go Strokes. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Should UL have a mascot? Yes, of course. No, I don't like fun or still Bulldogs to me. That's your poll question of the day. And right now, overwhelmingly, 90% of you say yes, of course. 8% say no, I don't like to have fun. And 2% say still Bulldogs to me. Let's get to some comments. JPK, the OD, says bring back this guy and make him the mascot. It's a picture of a guy selling concessions in the stands. That is not the Teague, by the way. That is a Major League Baseball ballpark. (laughs) <laughs> he disappeared about four years ago with the rest of UL's functional concession system. But hey, at least I have my annual we'll do better letter from Brian Maggard to look forward to. Oh, JPK the OD, not happy. Ralph says, we have one of the best nicknames in college athletics and should have a mascot to go along with it. Have a contest, let local artists come up with ideas and have a fan vote. Just do not let the UL marketing department make the decision. Ralph also says, wait, the game has a raging Cajun on staff. No costume needed. He could be in a hammock on the sideline until the refs blow a call. Then he morphs into Cajun Kevin. And, of course, it's a picture of our guy Kevin Foote from his Foote's Friday Fury yelling and looking all red-faced. John Paul the Cajun Daddy shared a, a gif of a pepper, talking pepper. John Paul also says a great pepper man would be awesome. Ton says, for those confused by the last option, the Cajuns were originally the Bulldogs, and as for a mascot, yes, but don't make it a pepper again. L.C. Izzle says, I have nothing to do with this idea, but I'm going to die on his hill with him. And he shared the social media post that was posted by the guy who came up with the concept and collaborated with someone to create the image for a new mascot. 
his idea is unlike his mascot predecessor, Al, for short, is not born from the minds of an expensive marketing firm. Al was created by a passionate UL alum with a goal to pay homage to a to the previous UL and USL mascots, as well as the other aspects in Kadiana's rich lore and culture. And then gave different style options for him. It's kind of an old school logo. The idea here. It's of, of an alligator essentially rocking Raging Cajun's gear. With throwing up the UL sign with his... Alligators don't have fingers, but you know what I'm talking about. Whatever they are. Claws. His reptilian phalanges. Yes. And Salty Steve says, finally a position for Martin. Because why not? All right, so what do you think? You like this idea of this alligator? I like it a lot. <clears throat> I like I like everything that Corey's been trying to say. Um, and I think, you know, it's been it's been well received by the community. I've I've been kind of following the interaction. I've actually saw when he was kind of teasing this release and uh, and some people were kind of paying attention to it and the designs look good, you know, and I mean, look, if I don't know if you all would take just the design off Twitter and, and use it right. They would probably have their own input on it, but I think the idea, the concept in general, calling him Al, short for albino, and, you know, the the alligator makes a lot of sense. Of course, like, you know, a lot of teams have a... Ma- you're not going to you're not gonna have an angry Acadiana man as your mascot, which is, I guess, what a, technically a raging Cajun would be. So, you know, make it something. We have alligators in the swamp. Um, I think I think it all makes a lot of sense, and I don't know why they don't have one. It's it's something when you struggle sometimes with fan connection and you know getting people to the you know involved and, 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 and engaged. Like mascots help with that type of stuff, and kids love them, and it makes basketball games a lot easier. And like I, I just don't know why they don't. And cayenne, I mean, I had no problem with cayenne. I mean, what's what's wrong with a flaming pepper running around the sidelines? I thought it was cool, but uh, they gotta have something, in my opinion. So yeah, I'm all for it. They they uh, shoot away Cayenne and allegedly lost the costume, which is a nice way of saying they threw it away. Um, but look at the reception that the Fabulous Cajun Chicken had. Now, a lot of old school UL fans or USL fans will remember the Cajun Chicken and what he did and how he entertained crowds. But... The biggest response that I saw when he came to the Cajun Dome that night was from kids. It wasn't from parents. It was from the kids. It doesn't hurt to have a mascot. Like, it just doesn't hurt. Like, LSU has some student dressed up like Mike the Tiger. And for women's basketball games, he puts on a shiny pink jacket like Kim Mulkey would. This is what you do. This is what you do, and yeah, okay, Kion may have scared people, and he was creepy, and they wanted to get rid of him, and you don't want to do the Cajun chicken because it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't go along with the imaging that you have or the braining that you have. Okay, great. Then come up with something new. And if you want to go with Al the alligator, that's fine. I have no problem with that. It makes a lot of sense. But you at least got to have some sort of mascot. You have a cool name, right? You're the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for athletics. You have a cool name. It's time to have a mascot for the kids and for the fans. 
It just makes too much sense. And it's weird that they haven't done anything over the years. Obviously, they made a decision to get rid of the mascot that they had and just kind of shelved them and didn't really make a big deal about it. So they shelved the mascot. Well, why isn't there another one? Kids love them. Fans love them. Makes a lot of sense. It's one of those things where you go, why hasn't this happened yet? So we'll see if it does. We'll see if they get inspired by this initiative and actually do something with it and bring a mascot back for the Cajuns. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on, Reynolds, to the show. Reynolds, good morning to you, brother. Hope you had a happy Easter. What's on your mind, my friend? Good morning. Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful day. Uh, I, you know, I'm not necessarily for a mascot, but I wouldn't mind one. But as long as, listen to me very closely, the the North and some of the nation already has a uh, preconceived notion of what a raging Cajun is or what a Cajun is. I just don't want our mascot to be barefoot, barely any teeth, straw hat with overalls and a fishing pole in his hand. That's all I want. So you don't, don't do you, you you don't want him to be a character from the Water Boys, what you're saying? No, <laughs> negative. Because that's a lot of people think they look at swamp people and they think we're all like that. That's correct. You know. So that's correct. I, I really don't. I, I really don't care if we have a a mascot. I mean, you know, or bring back the bulldog as a mascot and have him on the sideline. Why not? Yeah, but you're right. You can't do anything that's going to reinforce negative stereotypes. That's your big concern. Yeah, but uh, but but really, I mean, I don't think we need a mascot. But like I said, if we want to go back to the days of uh, uh, SLI or, or USL, just bring back a, a, a nice-looking little bulldog as our mascot. I mean, look at Auburn. They have War Eagle, and that's not even their mascot. They have they they have a lot of different things. Auburn does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah gets, they, it, they don't make up their mind. It gets a little weird over there on the plains, brother. I appreciate the phone call, Reynolds. Enjoy your day, bud. You have a blessed day. Yeah, Auburn is the Auburn Tigers, but their mascot's a war eagle, and they're also nicknamed the Plainsman. So really, well, they have three monikers. Yeah, and I mean, I, that's the plains of, of Auburn, right? Yeah. That's the whole thing. But so, I yeah, I don't think you should do a human mascot. Like, it's very difficult. It's it's you very especially in today's day and age. You're walking the line of offensive with any time you make a your mascot a human. Notre Dame even has to deal with some backlash with their Irish guy, right? Like, I, so I don't, just stay away from that. Go animal. You might still you know offend somebody, but I think it's a it's a better path to take. You're, you're not going to get too many people upset about an alligator. Um, either an alligator or, I mean, th- like, think about the Saints have a, a mascot in, in Gumbo who's a St. Bernard dog, and that's, you know, nothing to do. Obviously, the Saints have a, again, the Saints is similar to the Raging Cajuns. They have a mascot that it has a meaning and what it is, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, mean exactly what it what it's correct portrayed as. So it's like, you, you It's know, a big fluffy dog. Right, and then they have the big chin man, too. Like, they don't have a, you know, a religious figure as their mascot, and for obvious reasons, but my point being, like, you don't have to go exactly what a raging Cajun is, so don't put some de- depiction of a man from Lafayette on there. So don't use a picture of Kevin Foot right. screaming. Don't. I, it would be great, but don't do it. Use an animal. Get creative. Get clever with it. Have again some some cool little aspects of it that are tied to different portions of the history of the area and the school. 
And I think it's it's not again like you're saying. What's the what's the the risk in this situation? Like as long as you take your time on the design. Well, mascots and you get it are right, silly anyway, yeah. right? People are like, well, I'm, well, you know, no, mascots are silly. People dressed up in like Barney costumes is a silly thing. Yeah, it's a silly thing, right? It's supposed to be silly because it's not designed for adults. It's designed for kids. That's what it's designed for. Someone dressed up as Barney or as Big Bird going out there on the sidelines for your favorite team. It right. ain't for you. and It's for the kids. That's what it's all about. You know, and, and coming from Florida State, who has like a different type of approach, they don't have a mascot because, you know, Osceola and Renegade are not mascots. They're symbols of the Seminole tribe. And like Osceola rides out on Renegade and plants the spear. The person who represents Osceola is is chosen, and it's a very complex process. And like it's it's done for different ways, but then they also have Centurion, who is a big horse that's in a costume that comes to the basketball games and has fun. So like even that school that has a very serious symbolism and meaning behind their spirit leaders still has a fun mascot on side, like because that's what you do. TCU has a big guy dressed up as a horn frog. It's a bit. Western Kentucky has a big red glob. Right. Yeah. Right. Stanford has a tree. I right. Mean, it's, so yeah. so it's silliness to begin with. Just embrace it. Go with an alligator. Go with a big crawfish wearing sunglasses. I don't care. Come up with something. Make it cool. Make it fun. The kids will love it. Get people into the stands. You got to give the kids a reason why, you know. It's just not because of football or basketball or baseball or softball. Got to give the kids a reason why to be entertained. You want me to share uh, an embarrassing story about my childhood here on the air? I'm always pro-sharing embarrassing stories. So, uh, we used to go, when I was a kid, my, my parents went to UNO, the privateers, so we would go to some UNO basketball games from now and again, and I had a deathly fear of mascots when I was a kid. I don't know why, I did not like them, I, I was scared of people dressed in costumes. <laughs> UNO had a big alligator, coincidentally enough, um, and I think his name might have been Boudreaux which is kind of also coincidentally with this. And he would walk around in the stands, and he would put people in, you know, he would chomp on you, right? And I was deathly afraid, and I would actually make my parents tell the guy in the costume not to come near me during the games. And that was a recurring thing. I loved going to the basketball games. I found the alligator the second I walked in the arena, and I stayed as far away from him as I could the entire time. Lafayette is his name. Lafayette? Wow, that's really kind of An alligator. Strange. And yeah. then there was Pierre the Pirate. Yeah, no, I yeah, and I wasn't really that scared of the pirate, but the alligator, I did not did not want any. Oh, he's a silver alligator. Yeah, he was scary. My sister loved it, and she was like, "Oh, I want to be all with the mascot," and I was like, "Get him away." <laughs> Is that more frightening, or was the old Pierre the Pelican who looked like he was on drugs mascot for the Pelicans more frightening? No, he was cool. And see, here's the thing. I was obviously, at, you know, the time the Pelican was unveiled, I was over my fear of mascots. But he was awesome. He had an edge to him. And they got rid of him. Unfortunately, they caved. I like the, the new Pierre, green too. the uh, version of the Pelican mascot. Uh, are, are, are you pro King Cake Baby? No. <laughs> the King Cake Baby just looks into your soul and steals it by just glancing at you. Yes. <laughs> see but people complain about that kind of stuff and they're like all oh, the mascots and this but you remember them right 
you remember. And them. it was it was slightly traumatizing at the time, but it's now a fond memory of childhood. And we have I mean? fun with it now on the show. Your childhood trauma. So right. I'm all yeah. for this. Yes. <laughs> we gotta take a timeout. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Should UL have a mascot for its athletics? Yes, no, or you know what? It should be a bulldog. Let us know. Leave your thoughts, your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. Coming up next, we'll talk LSU baseball right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU Tigers remain the number one team in the country despite splitting two games there at South Carolina. The third game was washed away due to weather. Now, they're going to get a bit of a breather here in the schedule because they did start off their schedule playing ranked opponents in every one of their baseball series. Well, the break doesn't start until after this weekend, though. Kentucky did drop in the polls after losing two of three to Georgia. They were a top 10 team. But yes, it's still a ranked opponent. But A&M ranked, Arkansas ranked, Tennessee ranked, South Carolina ranked, Kentucky ranked, right? So the schedule is tough in conference play, make no doubt about it. But after they get past Kentucky, it's starting to lighten up a bit. Kentucky's number 12. They start that three-game set Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They play the Louisiana Raging Cajuns next Tuesday, by the way. Then it's at Ole Miss. Then at home versus Alabama. At Auburn versus Mississippi State. Those are four of the worst teams in the SEC. Both Mississippi schools are down and both Alabama schools are down. So LSU will get a bit of a breather after they get past good old Big Blue this week will they be able to do it it's interesting I think they will I think they still have time to figure out all of their pitching because I just don't know if they have enough frontline pitching they have one great ace right they have maybe another number two guy do they have a number three guy and you're going to need that in a regional, definitely going to need it in a super regional, and you're definitely going to need it when you get to Omaha. Make no doubt about that. Now, they do get rolling here this week in the Wally of Classic, or what used to be the Wally of Classic. That really doesn't exist anymore, kind of, right? That's a weird thing with because uh, they don't have it at the Shrine on Airline anymore. It's just they play each other. Yeah, but it's the, the Wally of Classic's now the UL game, isn't it? Is it? I believe so. I'll check on that. Check on that. Because um, you used to always involve Tulane. Well, it was Tulane, then it was it was Southern Miss for a while. They've, yeah. they've, they've bounced around opponents with it. But it's no longer played at their uh, Shrine on Airline. Well, that yeah, especially yeah. since it's no longer fit for baseball. They have Tulane, 
coming up. Tulane, obviously, we know is down. They're not having a great season by their standards. But Jay Johnson is not taking that opponent lightly by any stretch of the imagination. And he spoke about facing off against the Green Wave yesterday at his weekly press conference. Yeah, no, they're fine. They're, 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 yeah, they're the best team I've ever seen with that record. Like they played a, they probably played too tough a schedule to be honest with you. Um, and they have good players, and they're really well coached. I mean, Jay Ullman was at Oregon while I was at Arizona. Um, I mean, he played at Nevada. I coached at Nevada, so I've known him for a long time. Uh, Justin Bridgman, their assistant coach, one of my former players at Nevada. Um, so they'll, they'll be fine. Like that. It's if we win, I'm gonna walk out of there feeling like it's a good win. Yeah, they're. They're, that's I'm not buying it, and I think they'll finish better in the American than maybe their preseason that they had. Do you have an idea of who might pitch? It'll be probably several guys. Uh, how we're ordering it or setting it up, I'm not ready to put that out there yet. So LSU takes on Tulane tonight. And, and look, we talked about this team. The lineup is absolutely filthy. Make no bones about it. It's absolutely filthy. That said, pitching is still a possibility that could be their Achilles heel. Could be. I'm not saying it will be. I'm saying it could be. And look, this past weekend, they didn't have a third game. They only got to have two games because of all the weather down in South Carolina. And Jay Johnson was asked, was it nice to have some extra time to look at his staff's pitching? Well, I mean, we haven't played on Sunday like three weeks in a row. Um, you know, it'll be four this week. So we're kind of in that routine. Um, you know, it's been nice to have Sunday to scout the future opponent, you know, line things up. Um, I guess if there was one advantage of not playing it, it gives us an extra day and um, have a good, you know, grouping of guys that we can use tomorrow, um, which is important when, you know, you're starting a, another series on Thursday. Um, so I think it helps in a lot of ways, um, you know, but these guys want to get on the field. I mean, they're disappointed not to not to play that third game. By the way, I did confirm uh, last year was the last Wally Pond Junior Classic. It was LSU and UL for the last few years. Um, but they have decided that they're not going to do it anymore. Do it anymore. So last year was the last one. As it flamed out, essentially. Which is a shame. Yeah, part of it was was losing Zephyr Field, which they didn't play it at Zephyr Field the last few years anyway, but that was part of the decision, and then there was a couple other things cited. But yeah, no longer. Yes, thing. once the baby cakes left for Kansas, yeah, they they opted to stop playing there, which is it's the whole thing about the field. Shrine on Airline is a weird thing. Like, I... I it's a whole it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's now a rugby field, high school football as well. Correct. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Jamie to the show who's been patiently waiting. Jamie, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Mr. The Third. So you definitely uh hit the nail on the head with LSU pitching. Man, if their pitchers could figure it out, they're gonna be twice as scary as they already are. Uh but Let's not forget they also still have to play NSU, who's had their number the last couple of seasons. Uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> the Fork and Demons, anyway. Um, I wanted to go in on the poll question today. And, uh, you know, I think I think the Cages should definitely get a mascot. I would stay away from the name Al. 
I mean, that's Alabama's name. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the Florida Gators' name too, isn't it? How? I I don't know uh, about the Florida Gators. <laughs> but I mean, there are a lot of owls out there, so maybe just go with like a stereotypical Boudreaux or Thibodeau or something. I mean, just you know, keep it keep it uh, keep it a Cajun player, but. Yeah, I definitely think it's time for UL to have a mascot that's not a pepper. Um, I, I don't know. Cayenne just, uh, uh, no, I, I never cared for him much. But anyway, uh, that's that's all I got. I hope to, hope you guys have a good rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you, Jamie. Florida has Albert and Alberta, the two alligators. So there's already a gator out there with the owl for short, and also you have Big Owl at Alabama. So that could be a roadblock, possibly. Maybe, but also, like, mascot names don't really, I don't know, the name to me doesn't matter nearly as much as the whole design and just, like, the aesthetic of it. Well, you you need a name. You just can't have kids saying, No, I know there there has to be a name. I'm just saying... (laughs) Florida and Alabama have the same name, and they don't, you know, it doesn't, and they're rivals more than UL and Alabama or UL and Florida are being in their conference. So, anyway, this is true. True. Man's upset. Man, man, man's upset about Not that. Not upset. Be upset. You, you had your heart set on Al the alligator. No, I didn't. Just saying. It's okay, bud. Okay. Look, we know a mascot hurts you. It's okay. This is a safe place. No, my worst nightmare as a child was Chuck E. Cheese, like with the with the radio or the animatronic. Oh God, those things were. Look, okay, I got over my fear of mat- those things are still pretty creepy though. I tell you that. I don't know if they have those anymore at Chuck E. Cheese. I look, it's been a long time since I've been in a Chuck E. Cheese facility, but um, those things were scary and I mean just not natural movements. Oh. Oh, man. See, I rem- I'm old enough to remember when Chuck E. Cheese was just showbiz pizza in some places. Some pl- parts of the country it was Chuck E. Cheese. Other parts it was showbiz pizza. And, yes, the animatronics, I remember them. They never scared me. They never scared me, though. But it- it's good to know that you're sharing your fears with us. Mascots and animatronics scared poor D-Lo when he was a child. Well, and the, the, the Chuck E. Cheese, it was a combination of both. So that was, I mean, it was terrible. You leave, the, you leave the room with the stage and then you go out and then there's a guy walking around in a mascot you couldn't escape. You had to just dive into the <laughs> ball pit yeah. and hide. Funny thing is, you know, when I was little, real tiny as a kid, for some reason, I don't know, I was like three or four, for some reason I thought the ball pit had water in it. That's what was keeping the, the balls floating because it looked like it was floating to me. Until one day I dug into the ball pit until I could reach the bottom because I was determined to find out if there was water in there, and there was not. How many diseases did you have that day? <laughs> I, I, I probably got immune to very, to multiple <laughs> multiple diseases that day. Oh, man. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. We're going to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. 
More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. was going to talk about the poll question while we had a few minutes here, but I've opted to talk about how mascots disturb Dawson Iserlo instead. So I think that's more of a fun topic, how you're disturbed by them, how they I, haunt I, your I, nightmares. I'm, I'm no longer. I'm the one who... So if I put you in a room filled with mascots or animatronics, you're going to be perfectly fine. You're not going to sweat. You're not going to hyperventilate. You're not going to be nervous at all. Your blood pressure is going to be just calm, cool, and collected. I will be fine, yes. The animatronics will give me some hesitation, but I'll get over it. <laughs> There's a Nicolas Cage movie. It is terrible, but as most of his movies have been for a long time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but good like in a bad way, where there's like this rundown Chuck E. Cheese place that has possessed animatronics. Yeah, I don't want to see it. And he gets hired, and he doesn't speak in the entire movie. But he's oh. like the main character, but he doesn't utter a word the entire movie. He gets trapped it. inside of there. I don't see it. <laughs> Hour number two is in the books. Hour number three, we'll talk with Jim Gazzolo of the McNeese Cowboys. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as the Big Bald and Beautiful One. I'm broadcasting live from inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. And Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm joined in the studios by someone who was traumatized as a child by animatronics and mascots. He's gotten over it, allegedly. Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D'Lo. Bud, we're going to get you through that. We're gonna get you through. I'm gonna I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you. It's fine. It really is fine. The movie that you told me about, I uh, <laughs> where do we begin with that trailer? I just wasted two minutes of my life on. Oh, you're such an elitist. Two degrees is such an elitist. How you figure? <laughs> Look, Nicolas Cage has given us some great, absolute, fantastic trash movies. Drive Angry. Okay, it's not all. It doesn't all have to be highbrow cinema. Okay. Doesn't have to be. Face Off is a great movie and it is ridiculous. Con Air is a ton of fun and he has one of the worst Southern accents you've ever heard in an entire movie ever. National Treasure is a cinematic masterpiece. I love National Treasure. I own National Treasure. Oh, it's wow. at the house on Blu ray. Yes. Sweet. So don't, hey, you know what? Don't be looking down on poor Nick Cage who had to do a movie where he fought off 
possess animatronics and didn't speak a single word in the entire movie. It's brilliant. <laughs> he doesn't take himself too seriously. Just saying. I appreciate that in Nick Cage. A lot of people like to bash on Nick Cage. I'm not bashing on Nick Cage. He's made some, some bad movies, but a lot of people have. But he's also fully embraced making absolute B-movies from the 70s, and I'm here for it. Coming up half an hour from right now, talking about things that are trash but not all that enjoyable, the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll talk about that with Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He'll join us live coming up half an hour from right now. But right now it's time for us to talk McNeese Cowboys. They got themselves a much-needed series win over the weekend. Needed that in a big way. Rodgers, their star pitcher, man, he stepped up in a big way as well, didn't he? Went out there, became the nation's first and only eight-game winner last week against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. He was named the Southland Conference Pitcher of the Week on Monday. To break it all down for us is the man who covers the McNeese Cowboys. <laughs> Our buddy Jim Gazzola of the Lake Charles American Press and the Mean East Coaches Show. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm fine, Raymond. And how could you forget Nicholas Cage before he changed his name in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? That's right, when he was still going by Coppola. Yes. Because how he's Francis Ford that? Coppola's nephew, I do believe. Yes. 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 But he decided to change his name because he thought he would never be able to get work if he everyone just knew him as the man the nephew of the man who gave us the Godfather. So, yes. great transition, by the way. <laughs> okay, how big of a deal was it getting the series win over the weekend for McNeese? That was huge because they, they would have fallen, what, three games out of first. Now, with, with a jumbled up Southland Conference, they're two games out. But more importantly, <clears throat> they found some pitching which I think is, is really the key. Ty Abraham gave him a great second game. Burrell Jones gave him a, a really strong third game. And that's what they've been looking for. They don't have a rotation. And I don't think they're going to have a rotation talking to Justin Hill. He's got to play it by weekend by weekend in matchups more than anything else. Uh, but when you got Grant Rogers, you're in every, you're going to, you're going to have a chance to win every series. He is sensational. You know, he is legitimately maybe the best pitcher in the entire conference. But that said, and you kind of hinted at it, you believe this team can still find a way to win the Southland Conference even with just having one true ace, right? You think they can piece it together? Hmm. They're going to have to have somebody step up. They're going to have to find somebody. Maybe it's Ty Abraham who used to be a starter. Um they're going to have to figure out the back end of the bullpen. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's not a – it's a very balanced conference. I mean, they're playing Southeastern this weekend, and they're 3-3. Three and three. Or they're three games back. I'm sorry, they're 3-6. and six. Um, and, and those are the two co-favorites. So it's not a league that's going to run away with anybody. I don't see too many people putting together six straight wins and having a big lead. Therefore, if you can if you can piece together winning series, taking two out of three, and Rodgers gives you that chance to split the final two games, eh, you can get there. It's it's going to be tough if you don't have that second starter. But I'm not sure anybody has a second starter. 
In the entire conference, you mean? Yeah, yeah. What do you make of what you've seen from this team with its lineup? Well, they got Peyton Harden back in the leadoff spot. I think that has to be. Um, he makes them go. He gives them a little – they can move Cooper X, who's got some power, into the four spot. And that kind of links it out a little bit. But ever ever since uh, the freshman Rollins has been hurt, uh, he's hitting 374 or 378, I think. I think he still leads the conference in hitting if he's got enough at bats. Um, it, it's it's been a bottom as the bottom has struggled. Uh, Brendan Duhon has hit better of late, and that kind of gives it out. But they're they're not a power team this year. Um, they're going to steal bases. They're going to have to create some runs. Uh, but I don't. It, it's not like it was last year when they're going to hit three or four home runs to win a game. But they have so many of the same guys back, so why is that? Um, Part of it is uh, they don't have Gonzalez and Reed Bork, uh, two leaders on the team. They're not getting a lot of production. They're getting no production from Cade Hunter. Um, Cade Morris, who played third base, maybe he didn't hit for a lot of uh, average, but he had power. He had about nine home runs. So uh, those are the big pieces they're missing. Uh, they've replaced them with guys who, those three spots, with guys who are pretty good hitters but aren't the power guys. It still is a little surprising that they're not hitting it as many because, I mean, uh, yeah, they're missing Reed Bork, but he only had four home runs last year. So it's not as if he, you but know. Julian Gonzalez, Julian Gonzalez, at seven or eight, uh, the dif- the difference is the park plays differently based on the weather, and the weather with the wind blowing in, the park does not play uh, big, which helps the pitching numbers. Um, and that that is the strange thing about Joe Miller Ballpark it it plays to the conditions more than I think any other park in the league, and we've had a lot of games where the wind's been blowing in. Yeah, Julian Gonzalez had 10 home runs last year. So, um, yeah, definitely missed that. This team, though, despite having some struggles and not having the pitching depth that we thought they would, they're still 20-11. and 11. They're 4-5 and five in the conference. And the conference itself, no one's running away from it or with it, so to speak. Jim, how surprised are you by that, that no one has kind of seized and said, hey, this is – this is our conference. I thought for sure Southeastern would be that team, but that's not where we stand out this morning. No, and uh, everybody did. It was supposed to be McNeese and uh, Southeastern 1-2, just like last year. And I think what we're seeing is Southeastern's had some pitching issues uh, and some injuries, and I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, Bryson Hutchins has been out for the year, will not pitch for McNeese. He was hopefully going to be their number two. Um, that obviously isn't going to happen. I think those things, along with a league that uh, has a lot of continuity, you know, it's interesting. The league for football and basketball completely shifted with coaching. But in baseball, it stayed pretty consistent over the years with the coaching. So I think it's leveled off into a situation where they know each other and it's who's playing better that weekend. Um I'm a little surprised no one has taken the reins. But with the, when you look at McNeese and Southeastern, who we thought would, if they struggle, then maybe nobody's going to. 
Yeah, Southeastern is three and six in conference play, and they're only sixteen and sixteen overall. They've lost six straight games. Yeah. How big is that weekend series for the Cowboys, especially considering the team beat them in the conference tournament championship round a year ago? But more importantly, if you can go into Hammond and win two or three or possibly get you a sweep, you then vault yourself back up into contention because there is a log jam at the top behind Incarnate Word. There's Northwestern State, UNO, Nichols, and HCU, so there's not that big of a difference. I think the loser of this series, especially if it's Southeastern, um, is really is going to have a hard time getting back up to the top of the league because time will start running out. We're going to be at the halfway point. But I think the winner of this, and especially if somebody can sweep, but the winner of this does vault themselves back in. So this is kind of a survival one for both teams, especially Southeastern being the game behind. If they were to go and, and finish four, you know, be four and eight, at the end of this, that's going to be a tough hill to climb to get back in and, and try to win the thing. I think McNeese has a chance to, if they win this weekend, um, vault themselves back into maybe a game back with a lot of games to play against the guys ahead of them. So uh, it, it's a pivotal weekend, and this is a time when we've usually seen Justin Hill's club kind of, kind of getting their rhythm over the years. About the halfway point in the league, this is where they took off last year and won the league. Uh, this is where they did it two years ago. So I, I think this is the point in time where we're going to start to see if this team is going to be like that and make a stretch run. And after dropping series to both Nichols and HCU, they have an opportunity with the rest of their schedule to climb up because mm-hmm. they get to face yeah. some of the best teams in the conference. Yeah, UNO next weekend, then at Incarnate Word versus Lamar, and then at Northwestern State. So they'll have an opportunity to climb up and possibly get the regular season uh, championship, which for the Southland Conference appears to be absolutely wide open. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He's the man who covers the McNeese Cowboys and Cowgirls for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of Poke Nation on television and the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which you can listen to live every Wednesday night right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Let's switch over to softball, Jim. They're 28-12. and 12. They obviously will be taking on Houston tonight on the road. They finally dropped a conference game, but they still won the series. They're 11-1 and in conference play. They just keep trucking right along. They lost a one-run game on Friday to Northwestern State, but bounced back, shut them out in the next two games, 4-0, 2-0. Are they the cream of the crop in the Southland Conference? Yeah, by far. And surprisingly, they lost, uh, they lost the lead late against uh, Northwestern State. So that made, I guess that kept some teams interested. But I I don't, they're not going to lose the league. They're going to win the league. Um, Can they win the conference tournament? They look to be in pretty good shape because Vallejo throwing the last two games gives them Vallejo and Tate. And that's one thing he's, James Landrenau has said, this is a deeper pitching staff than I've ever had. And we're starting to see that now. They're not counting on just one pitcher. Tate did not have a great weekend. They got Vallejo to throw the last two games and shut out Northwestern State. That's huge. They have somebody else to bounce back to if your ace has a bad weekend. So I think that weekend, last weekend, showed that just what their depth is and just what their ability can be 
as far as a pitching staff. And that's always going to be the key if they're going to do anything in a regional is can they get a second pitcher? Are they going to be good enough to be a two seed in a regional? I don't know because they're, they're they. I don't know if they've won enough of the big games. They had a stretch where they beat Washington, beat North Texas. They were both ranked. I don't know if they've have enough and enough back end games to vault themselves into a number two. The record's going to be there. They have a couple of wins against some top twenty fives. But those were earlier. If they look at the later, their RPI number keeps coming down because of the league they play in. So they need to make sure they beat like a Houston tonight, who they've already beaten this year. They need to keep winning some weekday games that are big in order to give them that chance and make sure that they dominate the conference. Hosting LSU on the 18th could be big for that in that regard. Yeah. Jim? Appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your day and enjoy the Mid East Coaches Show this week, my friend. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn on face was it face to face just for you. <laughs> Thank you, bud. <laughs> I, this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day, should UL have a mascot? Yes or no? Dawson, what can you tell us about our poll question of the day? What are the people saying? Is it overwhelmingly – I mean, it should be yes. This should be a 100% poll question. Am I right? It's not 100. It's it's overwhelming, though. Um, All right. It's 90%, yes, of course. It's 5%, no, I don't like fun, and 5% still Bulldogs to me. Who doesn't like to have fun? 5% of Let's our talk to these listening people. audience doesn't like to have fun. I feel like they need a hug, maybe a little pick-me-up. Maybe so. Whew. That might be what they need. Um, yeah, no, I mean, look, it's a lot of, lot of reception for the mascots' ideas around Twitter and such. I mean, again, I don't see why you go, how you could go wrong with it, to be honest. Um. Oh, it can go wrong. It can go terribly wrong. Short of um, abandoning the mascot costume in an animatronic warehouse where it then comes to life and haunts people. No, I think I think you're fine. <laughs> I don't think that Nicolas Cage movie is coming true. <laughs> but no, you can do it wrong though. Like the idea that's being floated out there is a good one. I like the alligator. It makes a lot of sense. They want to go with an albino alligator, right? So you play on the name. You make it a Cajun way of saying, spelling albino. You can call them Al for short, even though there may be some issues there, okay, because of the Raging Cajuns, you know, other teams having Al and having an alligator that is short for Al. But 
you could go wrong. You could do the Cajun man, which they did years ago. Like, you can't do that now. That's what I say. It can right. go terribly wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I'm just relying on common sense to be used. But, yeah, you're right. That doesn't always get used, so it could go wrong. Because remember, that when they transitioned from the Bulldogs to the Raging Cajuns, for a brief time they had the Cajun man, which was your stereotypical, you know, Cajun. <laughs> so this could go terribly, terribly wrong. Then they went with the Cajun chicken, which was wildly popular for a long time. And then when they did the whole new rebranding, they went with the pepper. I never had a problem with the pepper, but a lot of people did, apparently. I never had a big problem with the pepper. Were you anti-pepper guy? No, I, I, I think the pepper was fine. I mean, I think it certainly could could have used a refresh and a new image, but it was, you know, it's funny. It's a pepper. I mean, I guess if you want to go more seriously, again, like it's like... We're now getting to degrees of seriousness within costumed inanimate objects and or animals, so I don't know. Gator, crawfish, which one you prefer? Gator. You prefer the gator. See, yeah, because of the swamp on campus, and it's more like tied to that, whereas, I mean, yeah, there's crawfish. There's no crawfish crawling around the campus, though, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's not, but, I mean, I know they have the little swamp area. Are, are you running into alligators when you're going to Econ 101? Yes. Um, little, I don't know if you, you, you didn't attend the university, so I'll let you know. Um, it's actually, it should be getting to that time. During mating season, which is in the springtime for alligators, the alligators leave the, they, they're essentially looking for mates, right? And they leave the enclosure and you will see them walking around campus every once in a while and you just call somebody and they go put them back in the swamp. I saw alligators roaming the campus probably five to ten times during my time there. Oh, outstanding. It's a normal thing. They're, they don't, you know, hurt you. I've, I've never seen anybody get bit or anything. Well, I'm sure if you provoke them. That They're they, raised in captivity, and, you yeah. know, I, or, you know, somewhat captivity, I guess. So do you like the albino idea for the alligator? Why yeah, not just cool. go with basic alligator? Like, well, you know, a normal alligator. You know, I mean, green doesn't really fit into the color scheme. You know what I mean? Mm, it's true. So vermilion and white, and then you have the white alligator. Mm, I think there that, we go. Now we're that, talk, that now makes we're some aesthetics a little bit more pleasing. See, Florida already has. They went with the green alligator, and it they have to try to match it up with the blue and orange, which it kind of it ends up working a little bit because blue and green kind of go, yeah. you know. But they have to do more work there. If you go white, you immediately fit into the color scheme. So albino alligator, we're hundred percent behind this. Albino alligator for the raging Cajuns. They need something. Can't do Cajun Man because that's not politically correct anymore. And some people would be offended. And it's also just not a good idea. No, no, it's 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 just you're, it's just it's a, it's a terrible idea. No one wants the bull, bulldog is overdone, right? Eh, and so many other teams are bulldogs. It's not very original. And you don't want to do the pepper because, well, you just don't want to do the pepper. So, an albino alligator may be the best thing. But here's my question. Obviously, we're talking a lot about this. It's our poll question of the day. Will the university actually do something? Will the athletic department with Dr. Brian Maggard actually do something? And create a new mascot? You know, because remember when Ole Miss had to do theirs because having Colonel Reb was no longer politically correct? 
and they voted and they let the student body vote and they went with the land shark <laughs> remember and you still had someone rent out a colonel reb costume and sit in the stands during football games so that you know it's goofy but they let the the fans do it do we expect the raging cajun athletic department to embrace this and say hey there the public would like this let's see if we can make this happen no I don't expect it, but I mean, maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. I love your optimism today. See what happened? You my were a little negative no. early, my and then I showed actually- you I showed you the Nicolas Cage uh, a movie trailer, and that is just turned around your morning. You're welcome, by the way. My actual answer to your question was no, and then and then it had a caveat. I, I don't know if that means I was optimistic or not, but. Either way, we're about to hear some optimism because we always do it this time. Oh, Ali Cassell is going to be optimistic about the Pels. You're not optimistic about the Pels. I'm not optimistic. Let's see if Ali is. God bless him. My man just just keeps going through the muck year after year after year. The editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights will join us next here at RP3 and Company to talk all things Pels in the play-in tournament. That's coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Pelicans are in the play-in tournament again. Yay! <laughs> I'm trying to be optimistic, but this isn't last year. This isn't them facing a team that was 14 games under 500 like they did last year when they faced the Spurs. This is a pretty good Oklahoma City Thunder team that actually has a legitimate star on the roster. Sorry, San Antonio. What's Greg Popovich doing still coaching through that drudge? Pels had a chance, though, to avoid having to be on the road for the playing tournament. But they squandered it. And here they sit. And on top of it, we get more weirdness about Zion Williamson. To talk us about all the positivity going along with the New Orleans Pelicans is our buddy from the Bird Rights, the editor-in-chief, Araya Sunshine himself, Ali Cassell. Ali, good morning, bud. How are you? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing well. The sun's shining. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to start off with Zion because this whole saga is getting just weirder and weirder, right? Uh, now we have reports that the Pelicans are concerned about him not embracing the conditioning and using very specific phrasing when it comes to their superstar. And last year, we were told there would be more transparency. And last year, we were told by David Griffin that they mishandled things and that they would be more forthcoming with information about their superstar. And yet, here we are again when it comes to the face of the franchise not playing yet again and them making it out like the guy they gave that extension to doesn't take conditioning well. This is year four of this, Ollie. This is year four of the franchise and their star player seemingly not on the same page. Explain it to me. Make it make sense for me. 
Okay, the easiest way to talk about this is you just go back to Zion when he last played. And it matters for somebody like him because that means he hasn't been able to run up and down the court, do his conditioning consistently since, what, the start of January. So for close to just over actually three months, he hasn't been able to basically stay in shape. And and that's a problem because whenever he doesn't play, whenever he's not you know moving around, he puts on weight. Unfortunately, he's got that type of body where he's just going to add you know excessive pounds to his frame, and it's kind of noticeable, right? When you watch him there on the sidelines for any of these Pelicans games over the last few weeks, he doesn't look like a guy that's ready to play, and that's a problem in the fact that yes, there's been heavy players in the past like Oliver Miller, even Shaquille O'Neal, a lot of players who entered seasons. Um, not in the best of shape, let's put it, but work themselves into shape. It's more difficult to do that with Zion because of a couple of reasons. One, his injury history. It's a given that the right side of his body, his leg, has had issues, right? He's seemingly been hurt every season. So for him to be up in tip-top shape is most important. But secondly, I think that their numbers, right, the metrics. Remember, David Griffin, when he went and talked to a few beat writers to give on the latest update, he mentioned Zion's metrics, and they do not add up. And my gut instinct, we weren't told this, but my gut instinct is that his metric, metrics are in such a bad place that the uh, medical staff, the, uh, the, the basically people like Aaron Nelson, everybody with a performance staff feels like if he gets out on the court, his chances of any kind of injury are, are much higher than, say, he would be if he was playing at a lighter weight. So that's where we stand and unfortunately, Zion hasn't been able to stay in shape, right? When you hurt a hamstring, you're not going to be able to run around. Now, recently, he's been able to work again. And the thought is that he's going to be able to take that weight off quickly because he always has in the past. But he hasn't really started running up until just last week, right? So you're, it's not going to happen overnight. That's why people are saying he's not close to returning. Like, for instance, Shams Trania just recently said that, look, he, he's not ready for game action. The Pelicans don't feel like he's ready. And that's true to an extent. That's why he was ruled out to at least the first round of the playoffs about a week ago. And it seems like you're right. The goalposts keep on moving on him. And until he gets into this zone where the Pelicans feel like we can put him out there kind of safely, where the performance staff nods their head in agreement, this is going to continue. And it's almost just like you said, it's a saga last year. He's got to be <laughs> he's got to check off so many boxes for them to feel comfortable putting him on the floor. And he's not there. But he is the face of the franchise. You are betting your fortunes on a guy that, A, can't stay healthy. That's not necessarily his fault. Okay, he's been snake bidding a little bit. I will, I will say that. But if you're still having to send a message to your player, because that's what it feels like they're doing, that he's not in conditioning shape because, yes, he hasn't been able to do basketball activities that means you probably have to adjust and not eat as much or watch what you eat even more so and count your calories so you can get back out there and rehab and get back onto the court. So this is the guy that you're you're hinging all your fortunes on, and we're still having a discussion in year four about his routine, his health, his stamina. We shouldn't be having these same conversations. He's not a rookie anymore, Ollie, correct? Yeah, it is worrisome. There's no doubt, Raymond, especially after what was said last year, right? I mean, it, they got national media attention. People like J.J. Redick on ESPN calling him out. Um, he, he took a lot of heat for it, and we thought he had learned his lesson. 
from uh, that point, right? He even mentioned it. It's not going to happen again. I'm going to be more forthright. I'm going to take care of my body more. He hired a personal chef. I mean, there was a couple of big stories in preseason, if everybody remembers, of what he did this offseason to get him shape for this season. And he looked pretty darn good, right, in training camp. We saw him on media day. And I just feel like maybe maybe he slipped a little bit after re-injuring his hamstring. If you remember, he was really close to returning after that initial injury. He was six weeks in. He was running. He was doing three-on-three type of contact. He looked good. That's the other thing to me. He looked good to the naked eye just seeing him on the bench. And I, I have a feeling that maybe after retweaking the hamstring, he might have gotten a little depressed again, right? He, he's known to be able to, you know, he takes things harder than probably a lot of other people, right? Depression might be a real thing for him based on everything. I don't want to speculate too much, but I just have a feeling that was another difficult period for him. Maybe he didn't eat too much or, or just get out of line too far, right? There's people like that with body types. I've heard he's kind of the same. So you don't deviate too much, but the, just the lack of activity, you're just going to put on the weight, right? So I have a feeling of all these combination of factors have probably led to where we are now. It's not like he's been sitting around not doing anything because um, I know he's been trying to do his pool work, everything else. He's, he still has a chef. He, he's been sticking to that. But yeah, I mean, Raymond, I don't feel like making excuses, but I also don't want to speculate at the same time. But you're right. This has to stop. When you're this far into what's just a com you know common hamstring injury, I mean, it, it's slightly, I think it was above a grade two. Nobody really talked about the specificities of it, but he should be back by now. He should be. And look, I'm a big guy, okay? So I get it. And when I get into a funk, I eat more. And I eat unhealthy. And I get the extra supersized meal with extra condiments, okay? So I, I get it, all right? And you're probably right when it comes to that. And the setback when he, when he re-aggravated, it probably did that. But, man, we're talking four years now. We're talking four years of that, and it's just – it just doesn't seem like they're on the same page to me, Ollie. And that's my bigger concern moving forward is not Zion. or It just seems like Zion and his camp and the Pelicans, and it does not seem like they're on the same page. I think he gets along with his teammates. He jokes around with them. He supports them. I think that's not a problem, right? I don't think team chemistry is a problem. But I think there is this weirdness that just – hangs over this team between Zion and his camp and the Pelicans front office. And it's been that way now for four years and it's not going to go away. That's, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. I mean, in one sense, you're right because they're sitting on opposing sides here on this issue. That's now lasted, like you said, four years and can't seem to get come to an agreement to where it's going to keep Zion on the floor. But having said that, Zion's in such a unique place because of his body and his his abilities. There's so many players I know that don't take their conditioning seriously, especially at the start of years. Luka Doncic is my favorite example. He comes into every season basically in not playing shape, right? Nikola Jokic was the same for years up until I think just this past year, but that was because he played a lot of off-season ball, right, for his country. And therefore, what I'm getting at is to have that dedication is so rare. To have that Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, not a lot of players have that, Raymond. And, and you're right, Zion has to have it. I don't think the Pelicans are at fault here in the least. If their performance staff, if, if, if all the data points to Zion's going to be at a greater risk playing at a heavier weight, 
you want to kind of hold him out, right? Because you don't want to have that ACL tear happen, some really catastrophic injury. And so they're kind of doing their part. But to me, it really more so falls on Zion. And that's what I said a, a year ago. And that's what I'm going to say again. He has to be the one that's responsible for getting to whatever level he has to and maintaining it. Because otherwise, he's not going to be in the court. So, yes, he's been given special gifts, right? Being able to jump out of the gym, being able to do things we've never seen before at his size. But with that, he's got the responsibility of keeping that Ferrari running smoothly. And that's why it's hard for me to talk about, you know, putting him in the same group as the Pelicans as there being an issue, right? They're, they're not on the same page. I, I feel like the Pelicans have done a lot to where they're even trying to cover up, right? They're not going right out to the media and talking about, his weight being too heavy, right? That's why he's not out there. I mean, let's let's face it. That's what it is again this season. That's what it was last year. Um, you got to have. You know, it's you, just got to be him, Raymond. He's got to get it and, and stick to it. You got to so have that dog yeah. killer instinct mentality to to dedicate your entire offseason to the game, right? And if you want to be special, that's what it takes. That's what Kobe did. That's what Jordan did. That's what Larry Bird did. Kareem. You name the greatest players in NBA history, they all did it. That's what separated them. Zion, I've always said, is immensely talented. He has natural gifts. We haven't seen anyone with his skill set or his body type, but I don't know if he has that dog inside of him. And if he wants to take his game to the next level and wants to take the Pelicans to the next level, that's what it's going to take. Let me say – He started to do that this year, right? First, First two and a half months, he looked great, played great. First injury hit, it sounded like he was going to come back on time. Had the re-injury, and ever since then, things have fallen apart. Things so, have yeah, fallen apart. I agree with you. What happened in Minnesota? Uh, I, you have a team malfunctioning in front of you. One player punches another. Another one punches a wall and breaks his hand. They were out without Nas Reed, and Cat was in foul trouble. And yet, no Valachunas in the fourth quarter at all because Willie Green decided to go small. I'm not really for sure about that decision. And and they just they just gifted the Timberwolves a win. How? Why? With so much on the line, why? A lot of reasons for it. And you're right, that shocked me. You, you have to beat this team. And they came out pretty well in that third quarter, right? They started off great, had only an eight-point halftime lead, didn't feel safe at all. But then I thought they started the third quarter okay, but then things just fell apart. And I, I'm blaming the offense. You know, let's be honest. You made three three-pointers, Raymond. And the three-point shot is so important. They only shot 21 of them for the game. I mean, Trey Murphy, for the longest time, was stuck on one attempt, and I kept on wondering what's happening here. He's been so visibly a bigger part of the offense since the start of March, and suddenly you can't even find him. And, and, and the same thing went for everybody else. I mean, I know CJ went 0 for 5 from 3, but look, you've got to get your three-point shots up. The Pelicans, I think, are 14 and 29 on the regular season when they shot, made less threes than their opponents. They were 23 and 9 when they made more. And so to only shoot 21 of them, when you know the three-point shot's such a big part of, of the today's game, didn't sit well with me. And then of course you mentioned the other part. The Pelicans rebounding was such an issue. I mean, off of missed free throws, Minnesota Timberwolves, I think, scored seven points, right? That that's the easiest box out in the game. Everybody has to stand in a little box right there along the free throw line. Free throw shooter shoots it. You put your butt into somebody. They couldn't do that. And the rebounding, you know, in general was an issue, right? The big man. Why Jonas didn't play at all, even just a couple of minutes, and I've said this to somebody else, okay, you want to play small? It's understandable. Cat is a difficult matchup on the other end. But at least stick Jonas out there for maybe a couple of minutes. 
where you do maybe foul him out, right? Because at worst, you're trading points. At worst, you're getting Jonas either, um, you know, with good shots because Cat's not a known defender or you get him in the free throw line. So the, I, I didn't like, yeah, a lot of the coaching decisions, just how the players played. It, it was kind of dysfunctional to me. And then, of course, you didn't play Dyson Daniels for a while. I mean, the bench didn't give you anything anyways offensive, but at least Dyson, guess what he does? He rebounds. He's a good passer. Maybe he could have found Trey Murphy for a few threes and not, and just not playing him, like I said. So the Pelicans really dropped the ball on that one in that second half. And now two games, Raymond. Cool. they got to win two games again. And it's going to be, like you said, much tougher competition. Let me ask you this. Only got about 35 seconds, Ollie. But when we talk at this time next week, will the Pelicans be the eight seed in the Western Conference playoffs, yes or no? I don't think so. I think they'll beat the OKC Thunder, but I don't think that they'll either go up to Minnesota or go to Los Angeles and likely emerge with a win, especially if it's L.A., right? The Lakers on their home court with that LeBron advantage, right, won't happen. If they go to Minnesota again, they should have beaten them before. Now Coach Finch has a whole – he's going to have extra days um, compared to, like, the Pelicans, and they're going to be on their home court. I just don't see it this year. Ollie, appreciate your time as always, brother. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Enjoy your week. Absolutely. I wish we had more hopeful things to say today, right? <laughs> we will. We will, bud. We will. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast, Jim Cazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press, and of course, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. We did have a poll question of the day. We spent a lot of time talking about this. Does UL need to have a mascot, someone that can dress up on the sidelines, entertain the kids? We say, both of us say overwhelmingly yes. We like this idea of the Albano alligator that's been floated out there. What are the final results, D'Lo? People agree. 88% say yes, of course. 5% say no, I don't like fun. And 7% say still Bulldogs to me. So, um, I, yeah, yeah, again, like there's not, that's why I don't know why it hasn't happened already. It just seems like, why would you not have one? Um, there's no real reason not to. And, and see how much the kids, yes, it was nostalgia right. for the adults to see the Fabulous Cajun Chicken. But did you, when you went to the game, did you see how the kids reacted, how they lined up to get their picture taken and get an autograph with the Fabulous Cajun Chicken? It matters. The kids love the mascots. Come on now. This is an easy thing. You don't need a jacked-up-on-steroids pepper as the mascot. Just get you an alligator, have them in a Raging Cajun sweater, and be done with it. Boom! I like this idea. I'm behind it. Whew. What a show today was. We'll try to do better tomorrow. It'll be hard, but we'll try our best. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D'Lo, a.k.a. Two Degrees, a.k.a. Iceman, a.k.a. the producer extraordinaire. I just keep adding. I'm Raymond Parch the Third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.